0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Delighted to be joined by Nigel Coker and Mike Goodman today with a lot to discuss regarding the Premier League fixtures being postponed after the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Let's get straight into it. Kegolazzo begins right now. Welcome, everyone. We have another jam-packed show for you today with a lot to discuss. And I am sure there are going to be debate here and there. But let's begin with some news that all the Premier League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and SPFL games for men and women have been cancelled this weekend after the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Now, the Premier League did release a statement. I will read it out to you right now. At a meeting this morning, Premier League clubs pay tribute to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II to honour her extraordinary life and her contribution to the nation. And as a mark of respect, this weekend's Premier League match round will be postponed, including Monday evening's game. Further updates regarding Premier League fixtures during the period of mourning will be provided in due course. Now, Richard Masters, the Premier League chief executive, also added, we and our clubs would like to pay tribute to Her Majesty's long and unwavering service to our country. As our longest-serving monarch, she has been an inspiration and leaves behind an incredible legacy following a life of dedication. This is a tremendously sad time for not just the nation, but also for the millions of people around the world who admired her. And we joined together with all those in mourning after her passing. Tremendously sad news, Nigel and Mike. Thank you to both of you for joining us today. Nigel, I'll start with you. It is sad news that broke yesterday, but let's discuss the decision to cancel games Is this the right decision to call off these games? Do you agree with this decision from the Premier League and EFL and pretty much every other federation and association in the UK right now to cancel the games?
2: Yeah, I think so. You know, I think you look at how long she's uh, ruled as the head of state. It's something we've never seen before. She's the longest ruling um, head of state that we've ever had, the Queen. And I just think it's something out of respect. You know, she means so much to the nation and also people who have seen so much change within England from when she took charge. I think at the age of, what, 25, maybe she was Queen. So <clears throat> it's just something that I pretty much expected to happen, just out of respect for the Queen and the Royal Family. And there is involvement in football in the Royal Family, you know, with uh, Prince William heavily involved with the Football Association and his commitment to making football basically reachable to a lot of the community in England. And he knows how much it brings England together as a nation, just through the simple, beautiful game of football. So I think it's, they went with the right decision there, just to pa- cancel these games this weekend, just out of respect.
3: Mike. Yeah, I, look, I'm American, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to sit and say what what people in England should feel or should not feel in terms of their personal relationship emotionally to the Queen. But we've seen games get cancelled over the last few years for a lot of reasons. I I, I do wonder if this was three or four years ago when we had not just come off two seasons where for various reasons, the Premier League has had to cancel games. Games have been canceled across the continent. We've learned how to deal with this. We've learned how to cope with this in a lot of ways. And I, I think that it's not surprising that these games are canceled at all. I don't think it'll be surprising if next weekend's games are canceled as well, heading into the international break. And there are practical concerns. Where, where are we going to make up these? You know, where on the calendar are we going to make up these games? I think is a, a thing that's going to be difficult. But I sort of feel like after the last couple of years, the leagues themselves are more confident in, in dealing with that, in, in addressing those challenges.
1: Yeah, listen, I I can hear and I can understand. I think I can see it from both sides because there has been a ton of debate. I mean, I'm sure after the reaction yesterday, everyone was sad. Most people were sad, certainly. And then you start to see the, the news breaking that there will be a meeting to discuss whether or not fixtures should be postponed or matches should go ahead. Let's not forget, Nigel, the royal family, as you mentioned before, tremendously involved in sports and not just any sport, also heavily involved in football and soccer. So... In many ways, I could understand why football fans would like to see games go ahead. You have not only just a minute of silence, you pay tribute, and the games go on in her honor. So it is frustrating for many a fan out there. Can you understand from the other side why fans would want games to go on? Because... It looks like we could see about 10 to 12 days of mourning for Queen Elizabeth II, who just passed yesterday. I I just think that there is a bit of a debate to be had about whether or not games should have gone on. And I can understand, and I agree, I think it is the right decision. But I can absolutely understand from the other side people's disappointment. Can you?
2: I can, but again, I think when I look at this for me personally, Ian, I think that it's a generation thing. And I think that's something that, Mike, you should try and understand as well. It's a generation thing most of the people who are from an older generation who saw the queen and you know lived through world war they understand how much of a big figure she was to england as a country and what she means to them mostly in the older generation younger generation don't quite understand what kind of life she's lived and the history of her and her family so they'll probably be most likely the ones who want football to carry on while the older generation have that bit more respect because of the generation that they kind of grew up in so i understand them cancelling this weekend but i just don't think it's going to be the full long morning period that we would have seen years back i do think that probably midweek games will start again and i think it will just carry on as normal after the midweek and i think all we'll see is probably moments of silence held because even the i think the cricket i believe is carrying on on yes. saturday the england versus south africa i believe they they're going to play on saturday so i don't think it's going to be a long period but I do understand and respect the decision that has come by the English Premier League and the Football League just to cancel one weekend. I don't think it's gonna be, you know, I don't think it's that big of a deal to do just one weekend cancelling games to mark yeah. your respect.
1: Listen, I understand it and I agree with it 110%, Nigel. Listen, we may never ever see this ever again. I mean, she ruled for 70 years. I mean, this may never ever happen again. You have now King Charles in <laughs> in the role now. And um, he's, what, 73, 74 years old now. So it's highly unlikely we'll ever see someone rule for from such a young age for this long. Um, it, it's it's definitely a moment in history that I think will never, ever be forgotten. And I think truly should be honored in the way that sports in particular are stopping this weekend. So I totally get it. Do you know uh, what, Mike,
2: Ian? Just to add to that, Ian, like you're saying, you're right, 100% won't see it again. And it's very similar, well, obviously not that kind of royalty level and everything like that. But if you look at what Sir Alex Ferguson did at Manchester United, I guarantee you we're never going to see that again. We're never going to see a manager be a club that long and win 19, 20 league titles because we're living in different times now. So you've yeah. got to honour these kind of moments and honour these type of people because as societies change and evolve, we're not going to see those type of inspirational stories and these figureheads stay at such a place and be so dominant and be you know so successful for a long period of time.
3: Yeah, I do understand, though, I I think, I do understand, though, I think, on the other side of things, people who are frustrated at the idea that they can't celebrate this out at the stadium, out at a game, that, you know, honestly, I think the refrain that you've seen a little bit is, so I have to go to work, but I can't watch the football, Um, and that what you prioritize, what people prioritize in, as a means of paying respect is not the same for everybody, right? Some people will will feel that it is respectful to cancel games, some people f- will feel that it is more respectful to honor her at games. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with the decision to cancel games, but I do understand where a generation might come from and say, for me it is more respectful to be there as West Ham did in the Europa League, to sort of have that moment before the match, to have the silence, to honor her at those matches, and, and to play. Look,
2: no, Mike, Mike, a- I understand what you're saying. But again, I think when you say stuff like that, again, it becomes a big thing of culture and generation and also society. West Ham fans are very patriotic fans. Trust me, I've played for those guys, and I know what they're about. And I think that West Ham fans, probably 98% of them would be understanding of games being cancelled and be very respectful to that. And I think, again, when games do resume, they'll be happy to have a moment of silence because that's how it is. There's a class system in England. And I think that's what people and Americans need to understand. There is a real class system and there's different ways of showing respects and paying respects, especially to royalty. So that's something that's already been embedded in the British culture and the English culture because of the class system. So it's a bit different, difficult of a concept for Americans to kind of understand. I know different cultures would rather celebrate life, but it's not something that has kind of been seen in blue blood British society. So that's not their kind of domain on how they do it.
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, I, I don't, don't think really, it, I don't think it's just Americans. I think you're also seeing you know the British folks as well have the same opinion as Mike yeah, they, they see because th- one
2: I think a lot of stuff's come out as well and then there's been a lot of obviously strained, uh how about strained relationships between the monarchy and, and British people in recent years so yes. that's why people are being a bit more free but at the end of the day, I just don't think it's a bad idea to cancel. I understand both sides of it but at the end of the day it's just one weekend and let's go.
3: Yeah, I don't I don't think I don't think there's a wrong decision here, as long as there's sort of some respectful way to address it. I just think that in, in a modern world, everybody is going to have a different way that they want to do that. And everybody is going to be able to voice their opinions on what that way should be. Yeah, great point.
1: Let me just read out real quickly to Nigel's point at the top of the show, and this pretty much backs you up, Mike, just a little bit here. Cricket to resume and pay tribute to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Cricket will resume on Saturday to pay tribute to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and honour her remarkable life and service. Following the cancellation of Friday's cricket fixtures as a mark of respect on announcement of her death, the England and Wales Cricket Board can confirm that play will resume from Saturday, including international, domestic, and recreational fixtures the decision has been taken after consultation with the dcms and in line with the official national morning guidance so there are sports going on nigel great point at the top of the show there but let's talk about uefa fixtures coming up will we see british clubs not playing nigel you touched upon it a moment ago you think that midweek fixtures will resume so we will see uefa competition next week for british clubs
2: Yeah, for sure. I think we will. I think what we're seeing with cricket as well, obviously, with them playing on Saturday as a mark of respect and, you know, honouring the Queen. I just want to put into that cricket fans and football fans are total different kettle of fish. Let's just say that. okay. as much as it's a mark of respect and honouring the Queen, football fans are not really as well behaved and well mannered as cricket fans. (laughs) <laughs> but I think during the week. And it's it's true. We got to listen, we have to be honest with ourselves. Football fans are not as well managed. You know, big games are happening this weekend, and it could go into a different direction to really stain the game of football more so than do it any kind of favours in showing respect to the royal family. So um I would say that midweek games will probably go on, and I think that they'll pay tribute to the Queen again before the kickoffs of the midweek games, but That's just my personal opinion. I can't really see them counselling it with everything that's going on with the amount of fixtures that have to be squeezed in before the World Cup. And uh, I think that they'll just make do. And I think they will come out with a statement again and just saying they're going to honour the Queen with moments of silence and show their respect. But the games definitely do have to go on.
3: Yeah, I'd be shocked. I'd be absolutely shocked if these games didn't get played midweek. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a nice moment that I think three of the four English teams are playing at home this week. Yeah. So you can have that sort of moment of respect with fans in the crowd, and also I think Arsenal on Thursday as well are at home. So it's a nice moment. I, I, like I just don't think there's any feasible way with the schedule that you couldn't play these games. Um, you have to get them all in before the World Cup. the The schedule this year is insane, anyway. Just from a practical standpoint, I don't see there being any way you could you, you could let these games not go ahead.
1: Nigel, just on a personal note before we move on to some Premier League news, did you ever get the chance to meet Queen Elizabeth II, obviously playing at Wembley Stadium and, and being around the Royals many times, uh, certainly through sporting events? Did you ever get the chance?
2: No, I was supposed to when we played in the FA Cup final, but instead it was uh, Prince William, I believe, because obviously he was the, the honorary guest of uh, the Football Association. But the queen was unable was unable to make it then, if I yeah I believe so.
1: Well, we'll move on quickly. Sad news, obviously. Yesterday, what happened? Premier League fixtures will be cancelled this weekend, as are Scottish Premier Ship games as well. There was a statement from Scottish football following: um, all professional football matches will be postponed this weekend as a mark of respect following the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. All right, let's move on. It's been an interesting week for the Premier League. Obviously, ahead of the postponement of these Premier League fixtures, there was breaking news that Thomas Tuchel was fired by Chelsea after the disappointing defeat against Dinamo Zagreb. He was replaced very quickly and swiftly by Graham Potter on a five-year contract, which means now, Bryson and Hove Albion, they're looking for their next man in charge. Mike, what do you think the next move is going to be for Brighton? There's some big names on their
3: list. Who do you think will be the man to replace him going forward? Yeah, I think it's interesting. As much as the, that, there are big names on the list. That there are a lot of little names on the list too that you might not have heard of. Um, I, I think it's been reported that they're looking at, uh, boy, I'm going to butcher this name, but Kethil Knutson, the Bodo Group yep. manager, Nathan Jones down at Luton Town, and then you know maybe some names you know like Steve Cooper, Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest, Russell Martin at Swansea. That kind of list. I think wherever they end up, it's going to be an interesting decision. I think that one of the things that made Graham Potter so notable is that he had a very unique career path to get to Brighton. And Brighton are run by sort of more analytically-minded ownership groups. They want to go in and, and create these sort of, they have markers that they're looking for in managers that may not be the same as, as other clubs. And I have no idea where they're going to go, but I sort of think that what they're going to try to do is is recreate what they got with Potter, which is a smaller name with an interesting background who they can commit to for several years and stick with through difficult times if they feel it's warranted.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point, Mike. I think for me personally, um, I look at Brighton probably, I think more than likely they'll try and go the British way for some reason. I would think they're trying to go for a British manager young and like you said, has kind of very similar molding and beliefs as Graham Potter did, and for them it's playing football the right way, playing attacking football, and also being more than just a manager kind of thing. You know, having that extra bit of persona or personality, or being a bit, like I like to say, an outliner, different from the old school generation and different from, you know, just a managerial standpoint, a bit more to them, and going with someone for the long term. But I think it's a decision they're going to take their time with, and I think for a club like Brighton, it would be best that they try and go down that british route again because if if they go for a foreign and unknown manager and unknown entity it yeah. could be a lot of problems because obviously they're not going to know the workings of the club brighton and, and what they're trying to do and premiership survival is the key you know you have to get someone that can come in and buy the players buy into very quickly
1: Boys, let me give you the odds for the next uh, manager to replace, obviously, Graham Potter. Uh, Brendan Rodgers is at nine to two right now. Ange Postecoglou, Glasgow Celtic, did a tremendous job, obviously, last campaign, winning the Scottish Championship. Now in the Champions League, um, good performance in the first half that really impressed. Our Nigel, uh, second half, not so much. Uh, he's at five to one. We have Felice Matsu at five to one. Knut- Knutson, uh, Kiet- Kieto Knutson, sorry, f- uh, six to one. Thomas Frank, fifteen to two. And then Nathan Jones, nine to one. We do have other names, as you mentioned before, with Steve Cooper being certainly rumored with it there. Uh, Mike, let's go to Ange Postacoglu and Brendan Rodgers, obviously with the postponement of the fixtures. Maybe it's postponement of possibly another manager being fired this weekend. Brendan Rodgers, his name is favorite right there to replace at Brighton. Maybe he's the type of character who could fit in well at Brighton, as you mentioned, with the, the ownership group wanting to work very closely with someone that they trust in charge of the club. And Rodgers has proven that in the past.
3: You can certainly see from a, a play style perspective how Rodgers would fit in there, right? I mean, this is this is a manager who has a lot of experience going all the way back to his Swansea days of playing possession football on a club that's in the bottom half, maybe, of the table. A, a, on a club that doesn't necessarily have the top level talent that you usually associate with with possession football. That said, Brendan Rodgers has a history of not working well in an ownership hierarchy. I mean, I think we can remember his exit from Liverpool. There was all of the sort of stern and drung over the the transfer committee and and the the sort of tugs of power back and forth between him and ownership and director of football. And Brighton has a very uh, rigid structure in ownership. They really Mm -hmm. are a club where... The club picks the players and the manager manages the players. And while Brendan Rogers might, might take that job, I would have questions about how easily the, the relationship would work there. Um, that said, I think Brendan Rogers is a very good manager. I think Brighton could do a lot worse than having a guy who has the sort of proven levels of success and the level of accomplishment in terms of playing how they want to play. I think it's just an example of you never get everything you want in a manager, right? You have to decide which things you're going to prioritize. And certainly Brendan Rodgers is some of those.
2: I think more than anything, Brendan Rodgers definitely would be a good candidate for it. But again, it's whether Brendan Rodgers wants it. Don't get me wrong. Brighton are a big club, but I feel Brendan Rodgers is going to feel that he can manage bigger clubs than Brighton. At the end of the day, they're doing well now. They did well now under Graham Potter. There's no guarantee whoever comes in next They're going to be the same Brighton and do well. You know, the players have to really buy into whoever comes in next as a manager. So I think, again, I think Brighton need to take their time, need to really identify the right candidate for that dressing room that they've built there and established. Because as well as they're doing now, the Premier League is a marathon. We could be speaking by Christmas time and Brighton could be from being fourth right now or third right now to maybe in the bottom half of the Premier League table. But I feel it's going to be more so if Brendan Rodgers, Rodgers wants that or, going to, or he's going to want to take a break away from football right now with what he's experienced recently at Leicester. And I think personally, you read between the lines in, he's uh, back and forth with uh, the club at the moment. Sounds a bit like, seems very similar to Thomas Tuchel at the moment. So I think that he's kind of wanting to get out of that club as well
1: it's a great point we're talking about him taking a break and he's still still in charge of a football club right now but that's what can happen and certainly Brighton is a destination that many people will be interested in taking that job they're fourth in the Premier League as you mentioned Nigel they are a great destination to live as well and when you're in a Premier League anything's possible there's a lot of money at stake for someone to step up I don't see the Ange Postacoglu thing working out he's doing such a great job for Celtic right now and I can only imagine it's going to take a lot to get him away from Glasgow Celtic All right, let's uh, Talk a little transfer news before we move on to discuss some fixtures around Europe. Um, Transfer news is free agent Loris Karius has joined Newcastle United, most likely as cover for Nick Pope. Uh, He signed a contract until 2023. We also have other news after the ACL injury to Kaladzic. Wolves move swiftly to sign Diego Costa, also to a contract to 2023. Nigel, let's start with Diego Costa to Wolves. Good move for the club and good move for the player?
2: It's a great move for him. Um, I'm really just baffled still how some of these clubs just, I don't know what kind of scouting or recruitment they have that they can't find a young talent around the world. You know, Costa was playing back at home in, in Brazil. Didn't quite work out for him. You know, I covered him doing the Copa Libertadores, and I just don't understand how he's gone from not having a club for a long period to all of a sudden getting a Premier League move to Wolves. You know, obviously he's getting older now. The game has moved on. He's probably going to be used more as a, a a target man. Very antagonizing player in your team. He's probably one of the players you want in your team than not in your team because he can be very, very annoying in all aspects of the game. But still, at the point, <laughs> I really am surprised that they haven't gone for a young up-and-coming talent or striker. So it's a great move for Costa. For me, it's questionable by Wolves.
3: Yeah, I just don't know how much Costa has left in the tank. But I will say, to him being annoying... What is incredible about Diego Costa is, do you know how many Premier League red cards he has? Go. Zero. You know how many top flight European red cards he has after having appeared in 2009, 2010, I believe was his first? He has three total. This is not, he has a reputation as a guy who is out of control. And I think Nigel had it exactly right. He's not out of control. He's annoying. He knows exactly what he is doing.
2: He knows exactly what he's doing. And the thing about it is him coming to the Premier League is going to be great. Because I guarantee you more people are going to want to watch Wolves. Because for me, I'm a big fan of players letting their personality out on the football pitch. And that's one thing he is not shy to do. He's going to get a lot of uh, eyes on him. And a lot of people are going to be wanting to watch Wolves now with him joining them. But it's a great move for him. And again, I still stand by it's questionable by Wolves, really, with the team that they have right now.
1: Yeah, great talking point there. So Costa was initially denied his work permit, but Wolves did appeal and they were successful. Uh, he played for Atletico Minero. Nigel, I'm sure you covered him previously. Yeah, He last played in January, now 33 years old, as you both pointed
4: out.
1: Okay, before we move on to discuss the the best of the rest of Europe, I'd like to remind you that Paramount Plus is the only place to stream every minute of every Serie A match. And you can quickly and easily sign up for your very own account right now by clicking the link in the description. Let's talk a little Serie A right now. There's some big games coming up in Italy. Um, Mike, it, it's been amazing to watch Serie A get off to this fantastic start once again. We obviously are seeing numerous battles across the top five domestic leagues for a title race. We're seeing it more and more. It's getting very competitive, but none more so than what's happening right now in Italy. Let's discuss a little bit of Napoli after a terrific performance against Liverpool in the Champions League. I mean, they were really spectacular. They're flying high in Serie A. But how do you think Spalletti can handle this congestion of fixtures with European competition, trying to maintain results domestically and make sure they continue their performances? Because this is not going to be easy for Napoli, especially against Spezia this weekend, Mike.
3: Yeah, I'll start from the point that just, like, Napoli are really the real deal. And if you haven't watched them play this season, they are a tremendous amount of fun. They're the top scoring team in Serie A, and sort of all the nerdy stuff backs it up, right? If you look at stuff like expected goals and shots and all of that, um, they're, they're tops. Um there are, And this is a team that we didn't necessarily think would be up there before the season started at all. There's a lot, you know, they've refreshed the squad, they've done all of this, and then, you know, they've lost Therese Martins, you know, they, they've, they've really turned over this team in a way that has been incredibly successful so far. Now, can they make it last as the schedule gets tough? I think that's a real difficult question here.
2: Nigel. Mike, Mike, uh, the brains, as I'm going to say. How has the Italian press reacted to Napoli's win over Liverpool, considering that Liverpool obviously are the probably third favourite to win the Champions League? To see that performance by Napoli, and obviously I'm doing so in Serie A, what was the press reaction back in Italy and what's kind of been the overall reaction by that win?
3: I mean, I think that... I haven't seen it specifically, but my belief is that, you know, everybody's kind of gone nuts over this Napoli side, that they were already a team that had garnered a lot of press in, in, in the lead up to that match because they have been doing so well and in the manner in which they've done it, which was unexpected. And then this sort of becomes the cherry on top of that hot start.
2: Well, are you surprised at how well they're doing considering that they lost the spine of their team last season? Yes. (laughs)
3: Yes, absolutely I am. And I I, I think, you know, any time... Look, they're building around Victor Osiman, who is a a fantastic young forward. But any time that you have a young winger... Whose name I am not even going to try to pronounce, jumping from Georgia, Georgia to the top of Syria, and succeeding the way he has, and succeeding against the top of European soccer the way he did against Liverpool. I don't know how you can predict that that's going to occur. Um, so yeah, I, no, I am very surprised by, by just how good Napoli has been so far.
1: Yeah, Kvica Kvaricelli is his name right there. I'm happy to actually have a go and pronounce his name.
2: There we go, showing off there, yeah. He's a man of many talents, very knowledgeable, showing off there.
1: I'm not frightened of getting stuck into it. Nigel, I just want to touch upon the fact that Napoli have got a lot of games coming up, but so do most of the teams, obviously, involved in European competition. But how do you think players are going to be able to handle it? What was it like for you? Obviously, you know, I learned my trade playing in the championship um, as a rookie, you know, through Trammy Rovers. They were in the championship, 46 games in a season in the league. And then you had cup competition to deal with. You know, what are these players going through when they're playing week in and week out? But you're also got midweek fixtures now to deal with ahead of a crazy World Cup schedule. What are these players going through?
2: Ian, you're my brother from another. You know, I learned my trade in the championship as well, you know, playing at Wimbledon. So it was intense week in week out you could barely train christmas period was the worst period but when you're young at that age of 17 18 19 playing games week in week out you love it it's a different kind of mentality for young players compared to players who are older in your squad of in their late 30s at that period it's very demanding young players can do it week in week out you didn't really think much of it you weren't really phased by the amount of games you were playing you just wanted to play games it's a different adrenaline different love for the game when you're young. But again, when you're older, it's very demanding. You need more time to rest and you probably need more rotation. So yep. again, it just depends on how they're managed now. And I think that science and technology in the game has moved on tremendously from when we were playing and when we had to do the the bleep test or the, all these different tests they had to do, <laughs> run three miles in X amount of time, otherwise you're not fit running through woods with rocks and boulders out and you could tr- break your ankle. All that was what we had to go through while being yelled at in the bully boy generation. Oh, I but remember. No, I definitely think that um, it has moved on and I think that it is demanding, but if the players rest appropriately, follow the instructions by, you know, the nutritions that they have available, you getting massages from yeah. the masseuses at the club, they should be able to handle it. I just think, to add to what Mike said for me, I think Ossaman is the big, big key figure for Napoli and for them being successful. And we saw him give 40 minutes of hell to Liverpool, and I think they need to keep him fit for them to be successful. Oh, I can't even get that word out. Successful throughout the season and also for a real successful Champions League campaign. But I feel he's the main key man for that Napoli side.
3: So here's my real concern with Napoli. They've only used 20 players so far this season, which is the second fewest in in Syria. I think uh, Lazio and Spezia have both used 19. And then you go dig into that a little further. They have 11 guys who have either started five matches or four matches. Mm -hmm. Nobody else has started more than one. So if they're going to keep this level up, they are going to need to get more minutes from somewhere. Can they do that? Maybe. I mean, like and Ndombele is one of the guys who's only started a single match, who was one of their big acquisitions this summer. If if players like that who are currently on the fringe get worked in, then sure, they can do this. But I just don't think that you're going to be able to run the same 11 guys out there twice a week, every week from now until the World Cup and not either risk injury or sort of a deterioration in play.
1: Yeah, I'm with you right there. And especially the way Spalletti likes to play. I mean, it's high intensity. They play football the right way. They like to get it on the ground. They like to move it quickly. But the problem I've got is that you mentioned it. The squad and the quality and depth. If you don't have the quality and depth and you don't spend the money to compete in European competition, you're going to fail at some point. It's going to collapse. However, I just wondered this year, though, Mike and Nigel, both to you this real quickly before we move on to the other fixtures. This is a World Cup year. So you're going to see... A lot of these players step away from Napoli, you know, after the, the group stage, they're going to go to a World Cup and then they're going to come back after it and then sort of start up the domestic season. This is one of the most ridiculous campaigns I've ever seen in my life because of a winter World Cup because of what's happening with the Champions League being so condensed, we're now starting to see domestic uh, games being condensed as well. But let's move on to Inter versus Torino. And Inzaghi's men, they lost three of their last four games across all competitions. I thought they looked pretty awful against Bayern Munich. I thought they were poor. I mean, really poor in the derby before that against Milan, conceding a lot of goals. Mike, what are you expecting from Inter? Obviously going up against Torino this
3: weekend, not an easy game for them. Yeah, so Inter is one of those where I think I'm going to put my nerd flag down a little bit. Um... I think that they have not been great for some fairly fixable reasons. If you look at some of the numbers, they sh- they're they going to score a lot of goals if they keep playing the way they're playing. Um, they've scored a number fewer than their expected goals suggest they might. And, and honestly, I just think they've missed shots that they will usually convert when they have opportunities. Now, the other side of it is that they are conceding more goals than a stat like expected goals predicts. And there, I think it's just a very simple problem, which is that, it's time for Handanovich to hand over the baton to Onana, that you just have a very easy explanation for why the performances aren't living up to what the numbers would suggest. And honestly, I just sort of think that if Inter make that change at keeper, everything else on this team is kind of going to work itself out for them being near the top of the table all season long. Yeah, Mike, pretty interesting. Go ahead,
1: Nigel.
2: I was just to say, Mike, sorry, do you think they're still good enough defensively to really mount a uh, strong challenge for Serie A?
3: I think the centre-backs are good enough, yeah. I think the problem, such as it is, is that that midfield is very open and they're designed to be very open, right? I mean, you've got a guy like Brozovic sitting at the base of that midfield, and it was Brozovic bursting ahead into the box against AC Milan to score the opener. This team is designed to play open. And so if they're playing open and they're not converting those chances when they get them, it's a problem. And then the problem becomes defensive because you are bursting bodies forward and leaving yourself exposed. But I sort of think that the answer to that is like just – Convert some more chances and you'll be okay.
2: So I'm going to say this, though. Is it basically, if we want to do like a club comparison, is it that Inter kind of trying to be like the Atalanta of Serie A a bit, but they don't have the right personnel to match how Atalanta play?
3: I think it's a little bit of that. I... I think that it's. I'm not willing to say it, that they don't have the right personnel, especially with Lukaku coming back and then getting injured, and then you're trying to find the right mix of attackers that'll make it work for the season. And I sort of have confidence that they will as the season goes on. But yeah, there absolutely has been sort of an unsettled element to their attack right now.
2: I'll probably yeah. say Lukaku probably
1: misses London now. Now that he's gone back to Milan, <laughs> he, wants to go back to London. <laughs> he needs to get back on the pitch. That's been the problem with yeah. Lukaku, and I think they really. Miss. Him. Inter really miss having Lukaku out there. I think that chemistry with Lautaro Martinez, which is what I'm looking forward to watching Inter the most, is because of what you say, Mike. What they do going forward, this is why I tune in to watch Inter Milan. They've got such threats going forward, especially from midfield, playing that wing back role, getting forward. But I will say this, though, you had touched upon the fact that you think they've got good enough defence. I don't. They do have a ton of defenders at that football club. But if you watch the game against Milan, watch the derby, second goal that Leal scored, it's absolutely ridiculous defense defending i think it was defy and Skriniar on that right hand side just absolutely shocking i think they completely lost their way lost their focus in that game and then of course uh, against bayern munich and and i think you all oh, know i, I kind I mean, of i, I, I kind of predicted bayern munich would actually have a big result in that game oh, i did I, as well i was hoping that
3: i Inter were going to turn up and they just didn't no i, I think was we just saying, should clear right that when we're talking about Inter being okay, that doesn't mean that they're a team that's as good as Bayern Munich, right? I, I mean, I think that Inter being a pretty good team this year means that they're still a level below sort of the the, you know, the 5 or 6 best teams in Europe for sure.
2: I was just going to say something quick, Mike, just before we move on Ian. What yeah. about Roma, Mike? What's Roma's uh, chances of winning the Serie A title this year? Cuz obviously they've been quite quiet in the transfer market to a certain degree, you know, and um Jose no, I'm, Mourinho is uh, a uh, as a manager that knows how to play the game, is he still the same Jose Mourinho? Or is he really adapting and changing his style now in Serie A?
3: I think he is mostly the same Jose Mourinho. But I think that the Jose Mourinho experience at the moment works better in Serie A than it does in the Premier League for a number of reasons. I'm not really concerned about Roma. I, I know they're coming off a couple of really rough results. I, I think that they still look like a, a, a pretty strong team to me. I think there are five teams from four spots in Syria, really. And somebody's going to be on the outside looking in. Um, and I think that that's mostly because Napoli have shown themselves to unexpectedly be strong. Uh, could Roma be that fifth team? Yeah, they could. But I, I mean, I think that among all these teams, it's pretty, it, it's, a, it's going to be a really good battle all season long.
1: All right, let's just finish off with a bit of Roma chat right there because I wanted to just touch upon you, Nigel, with the fact that there are now a couple of great English players playing at Roma for Mourinho. And of course, we recognize they've got a big game coming up against Empoli. Um, We know that Empoli have got no wins this season. They seem to be the draw specialists in the campaign so far. And Roma got smashed 4-0 by Udinese, then beaten 2-1 by Ludo Goretz. Uh, But Nigel, I wanted to ask you your opinion. What are your thoughts of uh, seeing... The English sort of moving away from the Premier League, especially these young kids. Tammy Abraham's over there, 17 goals last season in Serie A. He was sensational. You also saw Chris Smalling move over there before. There's been multiple players moving around, uh, not just in uh, the capital, around elsewhere in Serie A. What do you think about these young players deciding to go get their playing time elsewhere except from the Premier League?
2: I think it's great. I really do. And I encourage that for young players to go out there. And I think it only improves your football knowledge, your knowledge of the game, working in different environments and different cultures and different perception of how Italians approach football compared to um, the approach by uh, England. So it's a great thing to do as long as you can get the game time in. Uh, I'm actually quite close to Tammy through connections. So, you know, I've Mm -hmm. always uh, sent him a text now and then. And I think he's flourished. Since he's been there, he's absolutely flourished. He's done well. And you wouldn't be surprised if one of the Premier League clubs comes to try and buy him in a year or two because he's scoring goals, he's getting game time, he's learning so much, he's gaining knowledge and he's playing in one of the top leagues in Europe. You know, what can be wrong with that? And I think it's something that I do encourage a lot of British players to do, not to be scared to go out there and play. And it's something that probably our generation didn't do as much or didn't do as well. But this younger generation is definitely different. They're more willing to go out there and it's only going to benefit them in their football knowledge and uh, for their future down the line.
3: Mike, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's great. I also think it's what you'd expect to happen when you have the Premier League having all this money, right? Because one of the things that the Premier League can do is they can go out all of these teams. I mean, top to bottom, right? We're we're watching Nottingham Forest this year outbid top five clubs in Spain to pull in whoever they you know, to, to pull in international players. And when that happens, there's less playing time for young British players in the Premier League. And so the next natural thing that you'd hope would happen for those players is that they would find top-level competition elsewhere, that other teams on the continent – and you're not just seeing it happen in, in Italy, right? You're seeing it happen in Germany too with Jude Bellingham. Uh, mm-hmm. Jaden Sancho starting his career there, that they're going elsewhere then to find these opportunities at the top level. And I think it's wonderful. I mean, I think it's great for the game. I think it's great for them. I like, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I'll add to this. You know, obviously as a youngster uh, trying to make the breakthrough and then that wasn't at Nigel's level. It wasn't at that, that excellence level where it was easy for me to kind of make it to the championship teams and then into the Premier League. It was more of a battle. So for a lot of these young kids right now in the Premier League, it's already getting close to impossible to break into first teams. But there's a lot of kids who are playing at lower levels, trying to make a name, but also have a dream. For me, it was about, Going to a different country, learning a language and trying to learn a new culture. And I decided to go to Germany, which is why I spent five years over there. Initially went to Hamburg, who were in the Champions League at the time before finishing my career at St. Pauli. And I will tell you this, both of you, what a great experience it was to learn a language, to learn a new culture, to, to play football, speaking a different language and hearing multicultural, you know, obviously languages on the pitch it was absolutely spectacular. And during my time in Germany, I ran across so many Americans. I ran across so many young English players who just couldn't get minutes of playing time and they wanted to play. But it wasn't just that Mike and Nigel, it was also the fact that they wanted to try something completely different because it's drilled to us. Nigel, you know all about this. It's That's when we're kids and schoolboy level that we, we should be playing for our local clubs. And if it's not our local clubs, the best clubs in England or Scotland, and then you've got to do what you're told. But I love the culture now that says, no, 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 it's my time. It's my life. I'm going to decide what I want to do. What do you think about that, Mike? Yeah, I look,
3: I think that too often we forget that athletes are human beings, right? And I can also speak to the experience of, of moving abroad to someplace where you don't speak the language. I've lived a number of places in Europe over my life. I've, I've been lucky enough to do that. It's a wonderful experience. If, the, if, if you are the kind of person that wants to live your life that way and have those experiences, it's great. And if you are a footballer that wants to live your life and have those experiences that way, having the opportunity to do so is, is absolutely amazing. And so the fact that the, the economics of the game now are allowing for that to happen – for players who want that is, is I think it's terrific. Mike?
2: No, hundred percent. I'm, I'm with you. And I think uh, how we grew up. And I think when you say that about yourself, you have to realize that you're an outliner, but a lot of the players in our generation were programmed to be that way. And it was hard to deprogram them. So you do believe, Oh, you've got to play for your local club. You can only play in England, not worried about playing anywhere else. This is where you have to play. No, you miss out so much on life as well as football, you know, and learning a new culture, learning and, Understanding, I think that's been one of my great things about football taking me around the world. I've worked with mm-hmm. different managers and coaches and you learn how football is perceived by different cultures and then you get a greater understanding. And it also gave you a greater understanding with some of the foreign players that we played with within England because you kind of understood the culture they're coming from and their background and how certain things that we might say in England as the normal is offensive to them. So it's kind of an appreciation still, but you're still evolving and learning about the game of football. And I think it's great for these youngsters. And again, it's, it's down for them to really take those opportunities because it's only going to benefit them later on in life.
1: Yeah, before we make this a four-and-a-half-hour show, let's move on to the Bundesliga. We know that Leipzig are taking on Borussia Dortmund this weekend. It's probably going to be the most-watched game in Germany. Uh, not necessarily Bayern versus Stuttgart. I think it's going to be Leipzig against, against Dortmund because of Marco Rose taking over at Leipzig. He was previously at Borussia Dortmund, and now he's going up against his former club as Leipzig boss. Um a bit of a change. Tedesco fired after the Champions League humiliation. Um, in comes a new boss, Marco Rosa. What do you think about the move, Mike? And uh, what do you think about this match?
3: Well, you know, you brought up that he was just the, the Dortmund coach. I want to go a couple steps further back because he used to, before that, he was the Gladbach. And before that, he was the RB, RB Salzburg coach. And what I find interesting is that last year, Jesse Marsh was fired from RB Leipzig. And what they said after they fired him was... It wasn't really your fault, Jesse. You wanted to play the way that RB wants to play, and we have moved away from that style. We've moved to a style that's a little bit different, and that's why we're going to move on from you and bring in Tedesco. Now, less than a year later, they are firing Tedesco, whose results have not been good, and bringing back in Rosa, who brings with him the typical RB style again. So I don't think actually that Leipzig has been quite as bad as their um, record this year. I think they've played in a little bit of bad luck, not a lot, but a little bit. But I, I think like... they've
1: been shocking, Mike. <laughs> I think they've been terrible. Honestly, I've watched most of their games; they've been really poor.
3: And I just, well, I, 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 I have real questions about what they think they're doing going through this rotation of coaches.
2: I just love Mike defending Jesse. It's okay, mate. I know how it is. <laughs> Ian, I want to know what you think of the appointment. Do you think it's the right decision? moving yeah. forward? And also, do you think it? Will, how quickly will it be able to elevate them to be competitive as we've seen them in recent years and what they've built in Europe, the reputation?
1: Yeah, listen, it's a great question. It might make some great points about the way Leipzig want to play and how the club is run. Oliver Minzlaff, who is their what, kind of sporting director, he's pretty much in charge, the CEO of the football club, and he is a very hot-headed person, hot-headed individual, and makes quick decisions. He's clearly not happy with what's happened there. So, Anyone who goes into that position, Nigel, he's got to bring immediate results. He's got to bring immediate success. I wasn't a fan of some of the new signings that came in the door. Obviously, they sold some players, Leipzig. They lost some players, I wasn't a fan of some of the players came in, in particular defensively, because they've lost some big players defensively. Uh, Pat McConnell went to um, Bayern last year. And and I don't think the quality coming in the door is necessarily ready for competition domestically and also in the European level. I am a fan of the Timo Werner appointment. I think that's a great signing for the football club, but you're now relying on Timo to step it up and and really perform. Marco Rose is a very good coach, Nigel. Very, very good coach. And, and you mentioned it, Mike, He was at Salzburg, had great success. There's not many coaches who don't have success at Salzburg, but he had tremendous success and pretty much the first one to have success before Jesse took over from him. And then he went to Gladbach and it was a great Gladbach team that he had. They played great football. They were entertaining. He created a big name for himself and then he took the Borussia Dortmund job. And I thought, Okay, it's interesting because how can you turn that job down? You can't. It's a big job. You go for it. Second biggest club possibly in in Germany. And he's got to take it. It just didn't work out. His style didn't work out. The players didn't really play for him. His answers sometimes in the media were a bit confusing. And, And Dortmund just simply didn't get results. He has to get results at Leipzig because you know that this is a very, very, tough place to coach if you don't get results you're out very quickly but this is a tough game though I mean can you imagine going into the the seat Mike you're coming up against a Borussia Dortmund side who are in form right now they're looking to go top of the table and obviously having European success very important for them but that squad is absolutely deep right now and they're going to cause problems for Leipzig no doubt about it in Rose's first game
2: I was going to say this quickly to you Ian as well and, and probably Mike as well Are we going to see another championship won by Bayern Munich, in your opinion? Yes. Very, very straight to the point. Let's be real. Is it going to be another Bayern championship in the Bundesliga?
3: Yes, and I don't think it'll be close.
2: Ian's Ian's hesitating there. I'm just being honest. Like, What is this? This What's going to be the, the, the 11th championship now, maybe? I'm just gonna, I'm row. just
1: gonna, uh, really just leave it here. Bayern Munich are the best team in Germany <laughs> by far. If they don't win the Bundesliga, it'll be an embarrassment. I do think there's something wrong with Bayern Munich this year. I will say that I've said it before, even in our preview shows uh, ahead of Champions League games, that there's something not quite right at Bayern Munich right now. I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, uh, Hasan Salihamidzic has just signed a new contract to to lead the club forward, and um, Julian Nagelsmann, I think his relationship with Salihamidzic is a good one but when you don't win games at Bayern Munich and let's not forget they're third in the Bundesliga right now when you don't win games at Bayern Munich you got a big problem and take Robert Lewandowski's goals away from Bayern Munich and they could be in big trouble I get it everyone's gonna say it and I'm sure Mike you're gonna jump in right now and say the goals will be spread around they've got all these talented players they've brought in Sadio Mane I get it the squad is huge and they should win but I'm just getting a feeling Mike that they might have something wrong behind the scenes. I know they've got a big game coming up against Stuttgart this week and, um, I guess, what 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 would you think about that? with? Nagelsmann? I, don't,
3: I, like, I don't disagree with the idea that there might be something a little bit wrong behind the scenes at Bayern Munich at all. I think it's very possible that this team is not necessarily as good as, as it has been in past years. I just think that Bayern Munich with a little bit something wrong behind the scenes is still going to walk the Bundesliga fairly easily.
2: Mike, thank you. Just don't drink Ian's Kool-Aid. He lined you up there. He poured the Kool-Aid and you drank a bit of it. Ian said <laughs> little of that, but he said Bayern Munich is still going to win the league. Okay, that's all we need to know.
1: Do you know how much stick I've taken for criticising Bayern Munich in the Champions League? And I, I just can't believe that they allowed Lewandowski to leave the football club. But anyway, Bayern third place in the Bundesliga right now. They're taking on Stuttgart at home on Saturday. There are some other interesting games to look forward to. Sixth place, Cologne, they take on Union Berlin who are fourth in the table right now. Cologne drew with Nice in the Europa League conference this past weekend. There was some Crowd trouble, which delayed the kickoff there. Some crazy scenes. Go check it out on social media. And Union Berlin, they lost at home to St. Giloy, I believe. I can't even pronounce it. Um, but that was not a good performance from Union Berlin. They scored a goal, which was ruled offside. Top of the table, Freiburg face Borussia Mönchengladbach. Freiburg, top of the league. They won their Europa League opener against Karabag on Thursday. Okay, let's move on to La Liga. And before we jump into some of the cracking fixtures that we've got to really get stuck into... Um, we got to talk about this, this thing that's happening right now. Mike, I know you're all over it with Antoine Griezmann. Um, obviously, with, with Barcelona, this loan move and uh, potentially a big price tag that should and probably could be paid uh, by Atleti to Barcelona for his time, for his minutes. It's pretty confusing. Please explain it to everybody what's going on. It's kind of crazy.
3: Yeah, do we really have to talk about it? I mean, I've spent a lot of time this summer talking about the various financial machinations of Barcelona. And as much as of, of a joy as Barcelona is to watch on the, on the pitch right now, it is just brutal continuing to talk about all of the sort of behind-the-scenes stuff. But what's going on with Griezmann is this. They have loaned him to Atleti. Atleti have an obligation to buy Griezmann for a lot of money if he plays in, I believe, half of their games. Yes, There is a question as to what playing in a game contractually uh, amounts to. And what, what the clause appears to be is that you have to play more than half an hour. And what Atleti have been doing is bringing Griezmann on at the 63rd, 64th, 65th minute, week in and week out. Barcelona are basically taking at Letty to court, saying, No, no, this counts as him playing. You owe us the money already. And that is the controversy that is going on here. It is just the latest in all of these Barcelona moves. Is
2: absolutely fantastic. I'm sorry, because Mike broke that down so well. I'm just going to give it from a player's perspective what people need to understand. This type of stuff happens. Clubs will find loopholes and do everything they can whether it's not to play players because they have a fee that's due to a club that they've loaned them from, or also whether it's not to make sure players reach a certain amount of games for a new contract or an incentive in their contract. These things go on in football because it happens to players where they need X amount of games to get a new deal. And then all of a sudden from playing, they're just on the bench and they don't play and they don't get that new contract, new deal or that bonus. So what right now we're seeing With Barcelona and Atletico, I find it amusing because clubs do that. So all the football fans around the world watching, sometimes it's not always the player. Clubs do what they have to do because of the business dynamic that's involved in football.
1: Yeah, tremendously well put there, Mike, as well. And this is such a talking point as to what's happening right now in the beautiful game. We are seeing these mega millionaires, these uh, players who are moving and pretty much have all the power now to go wherever they want. And you're looking at Antoine Griezmann, who is a tremendously successful player, not only um, for, for club level, but also for his national team as well. Um, deciding to make this long move, wanting to play minutes. And now you're contractually restricted as to how many minutes you can play. And clearly, as we witnessed in uh, in midweek, he is a player who can come on the pitch and make a difference. And uh, my, oh, my, did he make a difference for Atleti this week. Um, it's uh, interesting fixtures coming up this weekend for them. They play Celta Vigo. Um, but let's talk a little quickly about Barcelona. They are at Cadiz Barcelona, sitting second at the table right now. They've scored 11 goals, only let in one goal. Are they potential candidates to take the throne away from Real Madrid this year, Mike?
3: Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that they're a very, very good team. I don't think they're a good team in sort of the classic mold of Barcelona. This is much more when you watch them play a kind of galacticos array of talent, but it's working incredibly well. Like, that's the bottom line. They are scoring tons of goals. They are not giving up a lot of shots. And you can't really complain about that. That's what you want when you bring in all the players they brought in.
2: But, Mike, would you say that they haven't really been challenged yet? Let's be real. For the the teams that they're going to face, they haven't really been challenged yet, in my opinion, Barcelona.
3: I think that that's fair too, but I think it's fair to question how many times they'll be challenged this season in La Liga. It's not a great year for La Liga. And, you know, we'll we'll have the amazing Clásicos. We'll have the matches against Atleti. I think we'll talk in a second here about maybe a couple of other decent teams in La Liga. But I think for the majority of this year, the question is going to be, how good are Barcelona going to be against beating inferior opposition?
2: Do you know what, Mike? I like what you said there. I think you're 100% right. They've got an array of talent and they're trying to work best with what they can do. But for me, I must say, and I've said it to Ian before, I really give credit to Real Madrid. Because in all my time of playing football and following football and that, I've never seen Real Madrid as a club where they've ever said, oh, they're in a rebuilding process and it's going to take two or three years and patience. No, they've been so well run in how they do their things, their operations of scouting, talent. I feel for me, they've got a great balance of a team right now. You look at the acquisitions that they made this summer, and I think Tucciamini for me, is going to be one of the top midfielders in the world. Getting him and playing alongside the experience of Modric, who still looks like he could play for another three or four years, and having that good mix of, experience and youth, and then selling Casemiro for 70 million to Manchester United, which was great business for me. I feel for me, Real Madrid are one of the best run clubs in world football, considering how they are run. People might not like their antics at times when, if you go there as a manager, you know you have a lifespan of two years or three years max, if you're lucky. But at the same time, you're working with the best of the best. You don't ever have to worry about a squad rebuild and bringing Real Madrid from the wilderness back to compete against the best. And I feel that that's kind of where they're at, where Barcelona is kind of slowly trying to get back up there with the identity. Mm -hmm. And obviously the financial strain and burden at that club is a tough one.
1: Yeah, I will say this, though, Barcelona have made some wise moves. Some of the transfers they've brought into the football club make them immediately competitive, not only domestically, Nigel, I think they'll also be competitive on the European level. And I love what you said about Real Madrid. I can see why you have this love affair with the football club and the way it's run, because they quietly go about their business. When things are not going well, there's not a lot of noise about Real Madrid. They just quietly go about their business. And like we saw last year, probably win another Champions League. Uh, nothing warmed my heart more than listening to you trying to pronounce Chow Men's name. But let's uh, let you know that Ramajan are taking on my York.
2: Hey, listen, Gujimini, go on to do it.
1: Whatever. I gotta love it. Anyway, I gotta, gotta love it, Nigel. You're just the best. Real Madrid taking on uh, Mallorca this weekend, and Real Bet has taken on Villarreal. Now, can Los Beticos bounce back after the first loss of the season? We know the Yellow Submarine have not conceded a goal yet, real quickly. Mike, what are your thoughts on this game?
3: I think that Villarreal are, are for real. Uh, I think that they're maybe the best defensive team in La Liga so far this year. I think that in attack, they are. Very good at only taking shots from very, very close to goal. Um, I think that if you haven't watched them this year, because you know, there's a lot of soccer out there, but there's no Premier League this weekend, you will also watch them and see, oh, they're an Unai Emery team. They're not fun to watch, but they are very good. Real Batista on the other side, they are fun to watch. And I think that this this week, this game match this weekend might be a really good time to tune in. And it's a little bit of like. Unstoppable force versus a movable object dynamic, which might be a, a good match to check out on, on a weekend where there's no Premier League.
1: Yeah, I agree with you as well. we will say this though, Villarreal, even though they didn't concede a goal in La Liga yet, they let in a terrible goal in Europe in midweek, and it was kind of embarrassing for them. That was a terrific game to watch, by the way. Uh, let's move on, real quickly, Mike. Espanol against Sevilla. Uh, Mike, real quickly, Lopetegui, uh, Sevilla's situation right now is not good at all. Can you understand why they would hang on to him a little bit longer?
3: Well, I think it goes something like this. They sold their two centre-backs, who were both very good in Diego Carlos and, and Jules Condé, mm-hmm. and didn't really replace them. And they have been terrible defensively since. And it is not unreasonable to look at, at, at Julian Lupategi and say, well, we're terrible with you right now, but with our centre-back situation, we'll be terrible without you as well.
2: well yeah, Mike, do you not know, feel that Seville normally a well-rounded team? I know obviously they they are. The backs, I mean, they're I not think looking that... like a well-rounded team right now. It's, it's the worst start in La Liga history, for them, I think in 42 years, their worst ever start.
3: I think they are usually well rounded. I think this year has been quite a, a failure of a summer for them to let two high, high level centre backs go and really not do anything to replace them. Can a different manager overcome that? Maybe, but I, I sort of I, I locate the problem at Sevilla quite specifically at that back line and think that it's just not clear to me that getting rid of Lopez would solve that problem.
1: Yeah, Sevilla sitting 17th in the table right now. They're sitting on one point, not got a victory yet from four games played. They play Espanyol, who are just two places ahead of them in the table. They do have one victory to their name and sitting on four points. So certainly some games you do not want to miss out from La Liga. All right, let's get to some final thoughts before we get out of here. Guys, it's been an awesome show. Thank you so much for what you brought at the top of the show. Never easy to talk about anyone passing away. Of course, with it being a royal, it's a unique situation, but both of you have been absolutely fantastic, and I'm sure our viewers out there who are liking and subscribing and leaving comments will notify that this has been not an easy show to get through, but we're trying to bring some positivity to everybody out there who's watching, and uh, this is a big game coming up before we get out of here, Nigel. We got the Super Classico, Boca against River, do you have a horse in this race? I'm going with
2: River. I'm a big fan of Gallardo. I've seen what he's done with that club. And what we have to understand is this. He's taken that club in the past seven years from the wilderness and really built them up. He's refreshed the academy. They're producing some fantastic talent. They always do well in the Libertadores. You've sold the likes of Alvarez and so many other young players coming through their academy, develops players. They have an identity. They have a style. They've also even been referred to as the Liverpool of Latin America. For me, Boca, you never know what you're going to get with Boca. You know, they're a club that's the people's club, but sometimes their identity and how they play and their style of play. And when it comes to that big game, when you need them to take that final step, they just never always make it.
1: Mike, you're wearing yellow. So I'm guessing you're kind of going for like this uh, Boca thing or what's going on with you?
3: <laughs> I'm actually wearing a, a Ukrainian National Team jersey. Um, no, nah, I like it. it. Love it. Yeah, um, from my time there. But that was great analysis from Nigel. And I love every minute of it. And I am also picking River, but just because my friends are Boca fans. Literally up and down. That is the only, only reason I am picking River. I have nothing of value to add in terms of analyzing these teams that I could possibly compare to what Nigel said, but let's go River.
1: Listen, it's not easy to break down what we do on this show because there's so many games to watch and we are spoiled for choice pretty much every single weekend. You can watch the top five European leagues. You can watch, if you're in the United States, domestically major league soccer. You can watch South American League. I know, Nigel, you've been covering it immensely and doing such a great job with Copa Libertadores. It's amazing to me how difficult it is, but how wonderful it is to try and keep yourself covering across all of these leagues. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's terrific to have you with us. Not easy, as I mentioned at the top of the show, talking about the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and the Premier League fixtures being cancelled. But I'd like to thank everybody out there so much for listening to So this time around. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. And we are also available on video as well. So subscribe to us on YouTube. Make sure you visit YouTube. And guess what? We'll see you next time because it's not too long before we're back.